Uh, it's a good morning to you this morning. <coughs> Excuse me as I clear my throat. Um, I've spent the last week on Noosa North Shore with a few friends, fishing by the fire and sleeping and eating very well. I got a call, I was on the way back yesterday on the ferry and I had a text on my phone, it's from Phil. Martin, I need you to preach tomorrow. And I spent all yesterday afternoon, no, I wasn't preparing my sermon, I was unpacking. I do trust that the words here this morning, which are God's words, might impact us and teach us and encourage each of us uh, as we listen to uh, Dr. Luke, who's penned some words from uh, Luke chapter 18, if you want to follow, 9 to 14. It's just a few verses, and it's a story, it's a parable, and uh, we know that Jesus was the best storyteller. I think that anyone has, we could even listen to uh, the audiences, when Jesus spoke, uh, especially the people who were humble, contrite, wanted to learn, were just blown away by what he was saying. He spoke with great authority, he spoke with truth, and he was listened to. These are the words from uh, Luke in chapter uh, 18, verses 9 to 14, and he says this, talking about the Lord Jesus. In the context, there's people there who are the teachers of the law listening, no doubt. He's told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I am not greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking himself on the chest and saying, God, have mercy upon me, I am a sinner. In the words of Jesus, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this story, this short story, a story of great contrast. Help us to understand it as it applies to our lives here in Australia today as we would seek to live for you in our families and in our communities, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that each one of you here this morning is well aware and you may well observe as I do, there is a natural tendency to compare people's lives with one's own and then maybe in your own mind rank them according to their goodness and morality, perhaps to their social status. Now I'm told, and I believe it's quite valid, that amongst uh, many, many rich people, there's always a sense of showing off the best house, the best caravan, the best four-wheel drive. I must have a, a better one and show how good I am in my social ranking. 
in a discussion with my wife some time ago, we discussed how other people's lives and how they were using them. And we would use this term, and you may have used it too, how the other half live. It's a statement stating the difference in the way that we might see or perceive that way that we are living compared to how others are living. And in that, there's probably an implication that we do not want to venture down the same track as some of the folk that we might be talking about because we might see it as a destructive way of life. And it may very well be so too. And it might be a very valid statement. But in making that statement, There's a great danger, isn't there, that I'm self-righteous and I'm arrogant, as if I'm superior, as if I've got the all-wonderful knowledge. Don Bradman is the standard that Australian batters uh, would look at... um, their runs, Don Bradman, I think, scored a run rate of 99, or average of 99.95. I could be corrected there. But he all he had to score was, I think it was about one or two runs in his last innings in England. Many years ago, he would have had a perfect score, 100. But the best batsman didn't get the perfect score. And as a result, he may well have um, seen himself, oh, I didn't get that perfect score. A friend of mine who has passed on now used to play cricket with Don Bradman on the um, Southern Highlands in New South Wales. And one day, as Bradman played this ball, my friend who was in very, very close caught the ball. And Bradman said to my friend, he said, that's the best catch I ever saw. To my friend said this, that's the best catch I never saw. (laughs) He didn't see it. In today's reading, we have an account given by Dr. Luke, as Jesus told this parable, a story of the danger of self-righteousness, of arrogance, of superiority. And in that, those traits which can be hidden within us, they will lead uh, lead to a position of being, uh, I guess, of delusion, And I guess I want to say today that we have here in front of us a test for your life and my my life. I've called it the eye test, the test of self-reflection in one's life before God. We have two people who are before God and they are looking in the mirror, as if it were, the mirror of their lives before God and then looking at the standard of God's righteousness in a real way. Now we know the Lord Jesus tells this uh, story. And he got on really well with people, didn't he? Because he either, he related very, very well people, he related so well with women. We know the women were the first people at the tomb. Uh, he, he ministered to them. He ministered to fishermen. He knew where they were. He got alongside them. He ministered to government officials. He ministered to people in the Roman army. Jesus ministered even to the religious rulers. We know of Zacchaeus, uh, I'm sorry, who came to uh, Nicodemus, who came to him uh, at night to find out who he was. And the Lord Jesus, we know, used stories and parables of getting the point across, the very truth of God. And this is, what, of course, what we have here today. 
Uh, Dr. Luke introduces us in this story. Jesus tells in verse 9, he says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and who look down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. So these people were self-righteous, they were arrogant, and they looked down. They made judgments, not as good as me. I'm up here, they're down there, I'm doing pretty well, thanks, mate. They were confident of their righteousness. And they were in the eye test were what I can do. It's all got to do about my doing before God. And if you like, here Jesus comes, he tells of two men, two prayers, two outcomes, two men, two outcomes, two prayers. If you like, you might say there's a good guy, a bad guy, and there's two outcomes. As they would look into the mirror of God's righteousness and see how they measure up. And of course we know one is a Pharisee, we're told that, the religious ruler in Israel, and a tax collector, a horrid person as seen at the day. Now the Pharisee in Jesus' day was seen to be a highly respected person. He was a member of the Jewish faith and he was set aside to promote Judaism. He was a man who was zealous about keeping the law. His traditions were seen to be pure and a person in which people were to look up to, one who knew seemingly a lot about the Bible and seemingly how to live life. And yet there were so many rules that they had around them, the Pharisees. Now today, in our world, we probably think fairly negatively about the Pharisees, so don't be a Pharisee. But in their day, they were highly respected If you like, the Pharisees were the good guys of Jewish citizenry. Uh, In a sermon which I I read by a man called Haddon Robinson, who has now passed on to glory, uh, had a prolific impact on preachers throughout the world. He titled a sermon on this passage called Good Guys, Bad Guys, Us Guys. And Haddon Robinson looks at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and he dispels a stereotypical view of the bad guy, that is, um, of, of the um, tax collector. I'm just going to read a few words of what Robinson says. He says, In the eyes of a good and decent man of that day, says Robinson, the Pharisee was a religious and moral success. The Pharisee could stand in the temple and say, I thank you that I'm not like other men who are like extortioners, evildoers, adulterers. I tithe all that I take in. I fast twice a week. And Robinson continues, I'm sure he was praying sober truth. In business, he had not made his living by uh, driving his neighbour to the wall. And his word was his bond. When he made a promise, you could count on it. And in a day of sexuality as loose as as our own, he did not sacrifice upon some wayside altar. Robinson continues, measured by any conventional standard, ancient or modern, the Pharisee was a religious success. 
in his comments, in his prayer, the prayer one, he says he fasted twice a week. Now that was far more greater than the Old Testament had asked because in the ancient law, the people of God were asked to fast once each year on the Day of Atonement. But in his devotion, in his religion, the Pharisee would not only be held to that, he went twice a week, Monday and Thursday. Mondays, Thursdays. We say we've got Monday-itis. The Pharisee, he goes and fasts. He denies himself food. He seeks God. He also says that a tithe of all that he took in would be given to God. Robinson again says, I suspect he's saying more than if he's just a tither. That would have been a great characteristic of many of that day. I think he's saying he tithed those things that the Lord did not ask him. Perhaps each year he figured up his net worth and he, or gross worth and he gave a tenth of that to God. He was absolutely fastidious in what he did. The Pharisee was in deep earnestness about his belief, his faith. And you'd have to be serious about it to make yourself as as uncomfortable as the Pharisee did. God was as real to him as the shekels to him were in his pocket. And he was willing to lower his standard of living a bit for him. And as his religion had done him good, the people of the community respected and admired him as an outstanding citizen, a contributor to the community. So there he is. That's the person we're talking about we write Pharisees off today. Back then, highly esteemed, looked up to. I guess you could say this man is equivalent to someone like an elder in the Presbyterian Church. I need to be careful. I'm an elder in the Presbyterian Church. Holds the scriptures, interprets the, uh, what we have in the Presbyterian, is called the code. Ask Colin about the code. He knows all about it. He vigorously makes sure everything is in order. Are the Pharisees held in high regard? The uh, elder is held high regard within the church, or seemingly he's a leader at presbytery, perhaps. And this is what we're talking about with the man, the Pharisee. The other person, person two, his prayer, a tax collector. And where he sees at the other end of town, isn't he? He's a traitor. He's collecting money for the invaders. He's collecting money for the Romans. And not only is he collecting, he's going way above it. He's pushing families into the gutter. He's been seen as an extortioner. He's pocketing hundreds of dollars or shekels in revenues for his own cause. He's the original scammer. Ever been scammed? You go on the computer today, if you've got computers and you try selling something, there'll be a scammer around, can guarantee it. This guy had no friends, rightly so too. You wouldn't befriend this character, horrible person. And he hoarded the dollars that he took for himself. You wouldn't like this bloke. And the second part of this parable that Jesus tells, as the people are listening, and they're listening well, truly engrossed, many of them who are listening, the hero is the Pharisee, and the tax collector is clearly seen as the bad guy, the scammer. 
You never entertain the thought of allowing your daughter to see this man, this scum of the earth. You won't want him to be anywhere near her. And surely, surely in the minds of many of his hearers, Jesus is just going to say, what a horrible person this is. There's an expectation by many in the crowd to applaud what Jesus is going to say about running down the tax collector. Jesus is not going to raise him up. We are not to collect the, uh, clap the tax collector. We are to see our man, the Pharisee, lifted up. This expectation given in their heart. Well, the story tells us that as in going up to the two, the two go up to the temple to pray, the Pharisee gets up and prays and he thanks God. The eye test, the eye test. He is not like others. I am not like these other people. I'm not immoral. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. Not like that tax collector over there. I'm not like him. Thank God I'm not like him, he's saying. What he's doing is making a comparison of his performance against another in the eyes of God, in the mirror of God as it reflects upon his life because he's vastly superior and he boasts of it, the eye test. I am so much better. This is how I live. His ego is right at the centre. A modern comparison of this type of behaviour is the great Russian writer Leo Tolsky. Now in a book written by a man called Paul Johnston, a Christian man, it says this, there is a persistent myth in contemporary culture that Count Leo Tolstoy was a great Christian, even a saint. And this is palpably false. In fact, Tolstoy is a self-righteous, egotistic man who felt himself to be God's older brother. Tolstoy once arrogantly penned these words in his diary. I have not yet ever met a single man who is morally good as I. Listen to that. I have not yet met a single man who is morally good as I. What a boast. What a false boast. And he continues on, Tolstoy. I do not remember an instance in my life when I was not attracted to what was good and was not ready to sacrifice anything to it. Now, the context of this statement was that he was womanising, he was neglecting his family. The greatest man that ever lived, he thought, before God. And Tolstoy's diary goes on to say that he felt his soul immeasurable grandeur. He was baffled by the failure of a man to, re, uh, to re reflect on his qualities. Why does nobody love me, he says. I'm not a fool and not deformed, not a bad man, not an ignoramus. It's incomprehensible. Now, how do you feel about a statement like that? If you're like me, you think, gee, there's height of arrogance there, isn't there? Height of arrogance, he's God's second brother, as it were. Makes you sick, such comments, and arrogance, a stench, so unattractive about such a position. And we have this egotistically idea and two that the Pharisee is showing. And it's in contrast 
to the tax collector who goes up to pray, a traitor, a fraud, a rip-off merchant, a modern-day scammer, as I already said. He's cowering in the temple. He doesn't want to be noticed. He has remorse in his heart before God, and he cries out to God, have mercy on me, I am a sinner. This guy, he looks at the eye test. What I have done, he's got nothing. He is bankrupt. He is gone. There's nothing to bring uh, concerning his performance to God. He knows it. But he has great need. Great need. He has the need of forgiveness. He needs of love. The need of grace. We all need that, don't we? Forgiveness. The need of love. The need of grace. He casts himself at the mercy of God. How are you? Are you a mercy man or are you a self-righteous man? He has nothing to bring to God for his merit. He is spiritually and morally bankrupt. He doesn't push forward himself in the eye test. He cries for mercy. Have mercy on me, God. The parable ends with Jesus telling the listeners the tax collector went away justified before God and not the Pharisee. The Pharisee, all he does, the eye test, before the righteousness of God, his goodness, what I have done, and in the comparison ladder, I am way up here, and look at him over there, he's way down there. Pharisee is self-deluded into thinking he was right before God. The Pharisee was of the belief that God owed him something for everything that he had done. The Pharisee knows nothing, seemingly nothing, of God's grace. The tax collector understands God's grace perfectly. He understands he can do nothing but plead for mercy and be blessed under God's gracious hand. Gentle old Scottish Presbyterian minister by the name of George MacDonald died in 1858 and left behind a collection of sermons that taught many about, or many of those sermons talked about grace. MacDonald preached the gospel of grace so strongly that one of his sons protested. His son said this, It seems all too good to be true. And MacDonald, in his uh, Scottish accent, Nay, it's just so good it must be true. It must be true. It's so good. God can bring something out of nothing or make something of a nobody through his grace. The tax collector recognised he is nothing and he comes on the basis of that, pleading mercy. And God justifies him, just as the thief on the cross looked at him, asking for mercy. John Newton, that wonderful... um, pastor in the end who wrote Amazing Grace was once a slave trader, a contemptible man before his conversion. You might have seen that film, or some of you might have seen that film, Amazing Grace. And it said John Newton could swear constantly for a quarter of an hour without using the same word. Now, I don't know all the swear words, and I don't even want to think of them, but they said he could swear that badly. Newton ultimately was confronted with his ways when he did the eye test before God. 
He was found lacking on every account. As he looked into God's holy law, he saw how righteous God was, how unrighteous he was, and he pleased some mercy upon his soul. And as a result, we have this wonderful hymn called Amazing Grace. Newton's life is turned upside down. He continues to testify of God's grace for the rest of his life. Going back to that parable, we do well to note the difference between the two men in coming to God and the humility factor. The factor humility ultimately determines the outcome of being right with God or wrong with God. In the case of the Pharisee, he goes away not being justified because the eye test is what he has done. His performance, he has not done this, he has not done that, he has not done this. He is self-righteous, self-righteous in his own eyes, certainly not in God's eyes. A proud heart. In the case of the tax collector, he goes away justified, in contrast to the Pharisee. One plainly sees here whether it's right required before God. One sees one has to come before God and see the huge debt one owes and we need to turn to him for each of us. We know that the scriptures time and time again exalt a spirit of humility. In the ancient uh, scripture of Isaiah, we read the words, I live, this is Isaiah 57, 15. These are the words. I live in the high and holy place, this is God, and whose spirits are contrite and humble. I refresh the humble and give courage to those with repentant hearts. Such a powerful scripture says, I live in the high and holy place and whose spirits are contrite and humble. I refresh the humble and give courage to those with repentant hearts. The application of this passage, I'm sure you can see, is very, very clear. Or the so what question that we need to answer. So what? You've told me about this and you've told me about that. But it lies in the fact that you that I cannot appeal to our so-called goodness, our so-called morality, or my performance, what I have done. You might perform so well one day in God's sight, so bad the next, up and down every day. Where are you? Up and down, up and down, up and down. That's where our natural selves will always seek to put us forward. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man claims to have an unfailing love. Many a man claims to have an unfailing love. Deception of the heart. If I go to a cricket match, a football match, football's on at the moment, state of origin, and if I see a yobbo on the hill drinking, swindling beer and leering wildly at women, I'd probably say, thank God I'm not like him over there. But as I do that, I appeal to my seemingly righteousness, just as the Pharisee did. And I'm just like the Pharisee. I see myself as self-righteous. Not only can be cured of such a deadly attack through the self-knowledge, knowing that within my natural heart, apart from God, it is deceptive. And as Jeremiah says, it is deceptively wicked. Who can understand it? 
You and I have hearts that need surgery. About three or four months ago in hospital, um, when I had my broken leg, I had the cardiologist come and see me because of a bit of an abnormal heartbeat going on. And they said, have you ever had a problem with your heart? And I said, yep, I have. And he said, what's that? And I said, broken. <laughs> and a friend of mine said, we well, should have also said that you've got um, a ruinous and deceptive heart. What can you do about that? You and I apart from God, have hearts that needs God's surgery upon them. Before us, two people in the temple, Dr Luke shows us, are doing the eye test. You and I are to come before God with no baggage. Let us look into the requirements of what God says and we see how undone we are. What we have to do is look at God's moral law and you might say, well, I haven't been involved in that. But it doesn't matter. We just have to think that, and we're in trouble. And when we look at God's holy law, when we're quiet and still before God, just as the tax collector did, this fraudster, this person who was hated, this person who didn't have any friends, when you see your great need, you plead for grace and mercy. People... You, me, at times, will delude ourselves with the blinkers of good works. Modern Australians think that they'll be all right with God and they are self-confident. I have a mate of mine who's the pastor at Dubbo, Wayne Connor. He said he met a prisoner that just came out of prison after committing murder down in western New South Wales. He said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing okay, mate. He said, Wayne got talking about spiritual things. How are you going to do when you go and stand before God? I'll be all right, mate. The uh, murder that I was involved in, well, that was an accident, he said, because the gun went off as a service station and really it just, it just went wrong. So really, yeah, God will understand it was just an accident, so I'll be okay. And uh, you see, it's all going back to what I do. Many will come to God on that last day, pointing to what they have done, but leaving unjustified. Deception. The self will be on the throne, not Christ. Allow Christ to be on the throne. That's what we are asked to do. And that negotiation, as with the Pharisees so long ago, in the eye test, I'm not an idolater, I'm not a murderer, and so on. All true, he wasn't. But he's self-righteous, full of pride, full of arrogance, no mercy. No grace. That's not negotiable in God's economy. Let me conclude this uh, morning with a story from the 15th century illustrating how powerful self-deception is and warning you and warning me not to be uh, deceived. This story is about a priest and a widow in Italy many, many years ago. And the priest's name was, I'm going to have to say that, forgive me if you're Italian, his name is Giriomaro Sovonarola. He was uh, uh, regarded as one of the greatest preachers of the 15th century, I read. And he preached in the great cathedral of Florence in Italy. And inside was this magnificent marble statue of the Virgin Mary. And while preaching there one day, uh, Giro Maro uh, Savonarola noticed an elderly woman praying before the statue of Mary. 
And he then noticed that she came there every day to pray to this statue. And Savonarola remarked to an elderly priest who had been serving in that cathedral for many years, look how devoted and look what she's doing, this woman. She's so righteous. Every day she comes and others pray to the Blessed Mother of Jesus. The old priest said this, don't be deceived in what you see. Many years ago, when the sculptor needed a model to pose to the statue of the Blessed Mary, he hired a beautiful woman to sit for him. That devout worshipper that you see every day <clears throat> is that young woman. She is worshipping who she used to be and who's now not. Let us go today, not deceiving ourselves. Let us pray. Oh God, we're in a place of worship this day. As a tax collector, as a Pharisee were many, many years ago. One an upright, standard man, man of community. One an, a rogue, a rip-off merchant. Someone who is hated. One goes away righteous before you, declared righteous, justified the other not. Help us this day to go away with the mercy of the Lord Jesus upon us, full of your uh, love and your joy, the forgiveness of our sins and what you have done for us and the newness of life that you've given us. Amen.